Would you remember the story of Jesus anointed by a sinful woman? When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from time to time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These words are true and they can be trusted. Let's pray together. Oh God, we just come before you today. What a, what a great day. I'm grateful for all that you are doing in the hearts and lives of the people. Oh, man, among the greater Trinity movement, not even only in this service, but the greater Trinity movement. I thank you for what you've done in the earlier service here and across town at East Fishers. I thank you for Pastor Calm getting ready to minister to the refugees downtown. I thank you for Mike Summers who's be, who will be teaching or is teaching currently at different retirement homes across the city. I thank you for Andy. Um, <clears throat> Lord God, right now they'll be finishing up services over in Westfield. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much for the services yet to come later this week downtown on Thursday nights. God, I'm just so grateful for all that you do. And I'm grateful for what you do even beyond the Trinity movement. I thank you for your church as a whole. I love, I love that I get to be here. I love these people. I love this community. I know there's so much work left to do, but what a joy that you count us worthy to do it. I ask today now as we continue in the worship this morning that you would... God, even anoint the words that I speak. Let them represent you. I want to do nothing more than lift you high, make your word known. For those that need hope, give hope. For those that need to be woken up, God, <clears throat> let your word pierce to the bone. For those, God, I pray in your name that are just exhausted, that have no tears left to cry, I pray that you would be emotional stability and renewal. God, you know the hearts of each of the people. And I pray that here in a little bit, even as we do baptisms, that we would just celebrate the life change that is happening.
if you would, even now, <clears throat> before the Lord in a state of prayer, just ask, say, God, speak to me. Pray for the people next to you. God, speak to the people around me, my friends and family. Even if you don't know, and pray that God would speak to them. I know you love us. You say you do. Help us to know it in our hearts. In your name, God, amen. <clears throat> you guys are great. You can have a seat. Josh, thank you for leading worship with the team. Did they not do a great job? I love our worship arts team. And so uh, it is good to be with you all in the house of the Lord. I'm getting over a little bit of cold uh, because it's that time of year and I have a huge family and they're just great petri dishes that bring stuff home always. Uh, <clears throat> but... I do feel good, and it is great to be here with you today. Uh, I'm excited to get into today's message. I want to put something in front of you. It's called the Ingle Scale. Uh, check this out. So uh, I guess before we get into the guts of this, I, anybody here been to seminary? If you've been to seminary, you've seen this before. If you haven't, that's okay. And so I talked about this in our sent service last Sunday night. Uh, and the Ingle Scale is really interesting. For those that have grown up in any education, kind of modalities of education, if you have any degree in education, you'll be aware of frameworks that are similar to this. Okay, so as I work through this, you're going to be like, oh, I've seen versions of this before. Uh, it's not necessarily new. But a number of years ago, a guy by the name of Engel built this Engel scale that represents the stages that people go through before they come to Jesus. And then after they become followers, did you know after you get saved, there's still growth? I know, it's a surprise. No, uh, it's not. There's so much more left to do. And so I'm going to walk through this with you really quick. Just awareness, okay? So as I'm going through this scale with you, um, maybe in your mind, I pray God brings people people to your mind, right? Like friend of yours, neighbor, coworker, friend, aunt, uncle, somebody you play golf with, somebody you, yeah, whatever, connected with that needs Jesus. I just pray that God attaches a name to some of these stages. Here we go. Number one, no awareness of God. For those that can see it, those in the back, I'll say it out loud here. No awareness of God. You have no awareness. You're not really aware of God at all. Number two, some awareness of God. So you're like kind of aware of God. And like, I mean, you're looking out there and you're going, wow, there's got to be more to this. I mean, space is just so massive and there's so much order in the universe, the theological, ontological, all the proofs of God, right, are beginning to kind of dawn on you. Then you have contact with Christians, number three. And hopefully, number three is a relatively positive experience because, you know, it's not always, uh, but it should be a relatively positive experience. Number three, so contact with other Christians. And then you have like interest in Jesus. So now they're beginning to like curiosity about Jesus, this historical person. And, and initially it kind of begins like interest in Jesus. It often begins with somebody going, I am interested in the story of Jesus and I love what he represents, but I don't necessarily think it's true or real. Right? That's like... Number four, number five, you're investigating Jesus. And then number six, you're beginning to grasp some truths about Jesus. It's like, okay, there are parts of this that may even be real. Maybe you begin, like, you love history, you love apologetics, like defending the word of God and defending, wrestling with truth. So you read maybe even extra biblical stuff, like even other historians like Tacitus and Josephus, and they mentioning, you know, the, this Christ and who he was. You're going, okay, he must have actually lived. 
Because there's a lot of evidence for him, even outside of followers of him, there's evidence of his life. So you're kind of working your way up the scale. You're grasping truths about it. Number seven, you understand the implications of trust or of truth about Jesus. So like, what does that mean? You know, like C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity, liar, lunatic, son of God. You're like, wow, if he really did say these things, the implications are big. These are big implications. And then you kind of get to the next level, um, you know, acceptance of the truth. Like, I'm going to believe it's true. Not just the implications are big, but I believe the implications are true. Not just the person, but now even what he's saying, the implications are true. And then you have, like, accept implications of becoming Christian, number, like, nine. And then number ten, this is the one that everybody talks about. That's the moment when somebody goes... I now don't only, I'm not only agreeing with Jesus, I not only think that he lived, I not only am aware of his truths, I choose to follow him. He is the compass for my life. And then once you accept Jesus into your heart, then it's like you got to gain confidence in your decision. You're experiencing life change. You're learning the basics of faith. You're learning disciplines. You're sharing your faith with others. And it's like ongoing growth. Because the cool thing is, is this scale in Christianity goes on for forever. There's always a greater intimacy, which is super cool. Further up, further in, as Lewis would say, right? Further up, further in. Now, a couple things I want us to just point out on this scale. First of all, um, think of somebody you love that's not walking with the Lord and just try to put, put them on the scale. Now, I get that people can move. I was sharing this with uh, some other people uh, at our sent service last Sunday night at a service, walking this through. And uh, my daughter, Emma, said it great. Uh, Emma was like, Dad, some people can like take a few steps up and then they take a step back and then they take a few steps up and back. So it's like wherever they're at today, why don't you put somebody that you love on here? Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your neighbor. Where would they be on this? Okay, couple, couple thoughts. Couple thoughts on this. All right, bear with me. Couple thoughts. Number one, uh, I think, I think, and I, I do not intend to be offensive. Pastor loves you. <laughs> Pastor very much loves you. I think most Christians, people that call themselves Christian, I think most people that call themselves Christian in the West are actually only six, seven, and eight, maybe a nine. Like I think if Barna, like the research group Barna, was to go out on the street and bump into people in the streets and be like, hey, are you a Christian? They'd be like, yeah, I know about Jesus. Or they'd be like, yeah, I think the Bible's true. That's cool, but you're not actually a follower of Jesus yet. All right, with this in mind, I want to go to our text, uh, which Alyssa read a little bit earlier. I want to go back to it. So Luke 7, Luke 7, 36 through 50. Okay, now I, uh, I think that, you know, like Twitter, or what is it, X? They changed the name of it. It was Twitter, now it's X. Is that right? I think X. So like Twitter, Instagram, all these little short posts. There's a great research project talking about how we are losing our ability to think long about things. So like think deeply and long about something, sort of read something for a long time and have an idea that begins here. And then eight pages later, the idea is being worked out with all the history. We're like, we're losing the ability. You get two pages in, you're like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. You need a Twitter post for everything. Our ability to think long is going away. I sometimes think our ability to use our imaginations 
is getting wimpier, right? Like thanks to HDR and all the virtual stuff and VR and I mean all the things that are out there, right? Like everybody gets to do imagination for you. I remember back in the day, right? Like back in, did anybody grow up reading novels like you liked to read? Remember when you could open a book and actually read it and the story was played out in your head? That was cool. Like anybody here, you like read Lord of the Rings or a book like that and then you watch the movie and you're like, that's not how I imagined it. Anybody have that happen? Yeah, that's back when we had imaginations. That was cool. All right, so I want to pray. I want to pray as I read this story from the Bible. I want to pray divine imaginative inspiration. Let your imagination reawaken and imagine this story. If you need to use like uh, the chosen TV series as like a way to dress the characters up, that's fine, right? Just use your imagination as I read this story. Okay, here we go. Here we go. It's a little longer passage. Alyssa read it. I want to read it again, but use your imagination. See it in your mind's eye. Lord, help us. Amen. That's a very good prayer to pray, by the way. You can pray that a lot. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table with a Pharisee, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited saw this, he said to himself, so he's thinking it in his mind, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering his thoughts. How cool is that? Like that would be something I would love to have. Maybe. Maybe it would be terrifying. I don't know. Jesus answering him saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, uh, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning back towards the woman, he's speaking to Simon while looking at the woman. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with her ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little often loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a tale of two different kinds of hospitality. 
A Pharisee, I mean, because again, you want to go back. If you go, I wish we could hop in a time machine, go back and like sit and watch this, right? Maybe like when we get to heaven, that'd be cool. Maybe there'll be like extra high definition something. We like really watch these stories play out. That'd be cool, like virtual reality, heaven reality, I don't know. But a Pharisee, super interested in Jesus, invites him to come into his home. Now, it actually wasn't uncommon at that time in history, Mesopotamia, that time in history, when somebody came to your house that you were really interested in or really missed, and you see this in other historical accounts, even like the prodigal son, for you to wash their feet, that's like a standard one, or to anoint their head with oil. They're coming off the street, clean up their feet, put the oil, clean off their feet, put the oil on them, help them smell a little bit better. And then if you really, really are excited for them, you'd kiss them. Now imagine, right, like somebody comes to your house now and you're like, welcome to my home. That might be awkward on the meet Christian Ingle scale. I don't know. But at that time in history, that would have been relatively normal. The Pharisee invites Jesus into his house, but offers none of these normal, higher level hospitality things. And then this sinful woman, woman of the city. In fact, when you look at other accounts or historical documents referencing that text, she is probably a prostitute. She's actually relatively wealthy. Most people think that the alabaster jar that she had, the anointment oil that she had, was probably close to a year's worth of regular salary. So just imagine that in your mind. In your mind, think of how much money you made last year. Imagine dumping all of it at the feet of Jesus. That's, that's big. And so she comes in and takes on the practices that he should have been doing. So she washes his feet. She anoints him. She kisses him. It's a tale of two hospitalities. It's one thing to be hospitable in your home, to have maybe God things in your house. And maybe even for us today, this is the person who's got like Christian stuff hanging on the wall. They've got scripture verses on their Facebook post. They stick up or share a meme that's like, Jesus loves me, me too, you know, share it again, right? Like you're hospitable in an external way, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're actually hospitable in heart. Hospitable in home, hospitable in heart. Interested in Jesus, desperate for Jesus. Hospitable in in home, hospitable in heart, interested in Jesus, desperate for Jesus. A couple things to note from this. Number one, Pharisees, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they are excellent at the external. They just are. They look right. They talk right. They even invite Jesus into their home, right? Like, come on in. We, we're interested in you, Jesus. But Jesus knows their hearts aren't actually hospitable. They aren't actually hospitable in heart to him. The sinful woman of the city, probably a prostitute, the sinful woman of the city, had a lot of external growth left. The Bible even says that she has many sins. But the one thing she had was a radically hospitable heart for Jesus. I'm going to invite Josh up, and uh, I want to make space in the service for baptisms here in a little bit.
Let me say something, and at the risk of maybe even being a little bit offensive, I, I know as, the, as I've been preaching this sermon in services throughout the morning, I'm trying to soften this next part uh, because I think it came out pretty bold initially and I want it to be bold, but I want you to feel the charity of this too, the awareness, the depth of it. The posture of the heart, the posture of the heart, the posture of the heart predicts the eternal future more than the current state of our lives. Let me say that again. The posture of the heart predicts our eternal future more than the current state of our lives. Okay, so, so uh, let me give you one of a number of examples. And I've changed just enough details in this uh, that you shouldn't be able to figure it out. And it was even before I moved here. There's a family that went to the church. N- not here, it was before I moved here. Good Christian family, actually. And they had a daughter who, good Christian daughter. I'm putting Christian in quotes, air quotes, right? Like, so not really Christian, but Christian daughter. So in the church, going to church on a regular basis because her parents made her. When she was struggling with stuff, the parents would make her go talk with the pastor. She really wasn't interested at all. I mean, she definitely was like if, uh, if you're a family sitting there, this is the girl who's sitting with her parents in church and the whole time the service is going on, it's the girl that's doing this. Right, that, it's that kind of an attitude. She inevitably started dating this guy who was a, tra- a train wreck. Just, I mean, broken family, broken home. They meet at a party. They end up getting connected. It's, it's, it's a mess. And, and rightly so, you would look at this and be like, her decisions are just getting worse. That is a right assessment. They end up getting pregnant. They end up getting married. In getting to know the family, there was an odd thing I became aware of. The young rebel man, the rebel young man, home was a mess, life was a mess, upbringing was a mess. He actually was very spiritually curious. And this dude started asking lots of questions about faith. In fact, even when they were together, he would be the kind of one that's like, hey, I, I, I want to, can I ask your dad something else about, I'm just curious. I'm curious about these old Christian things. Your parents are interesting to me. So he's asking the parents and the daughter's like, ah, oh, come on, let's go make out. Let's go do drugs. Let's go party. Can I say make out in church? I hope that's okay. I just realized I might've crossed the line there. Sorry. And inevitably what happened is this, like, bear with me, this Bible, uh, this is a good way to do it. Like this Bible represents God, like the heart of God, the ways of God, the nature of God. What happened is, is this girl grew up right here, but her eyes and her heart were always going this direction away from it. 
This dude grew up right here. They crossed paths at a party a long ways away from godly stuff. But over time, what happened is she ended up literally disappearing. The marriage fell apart. Everything was a mess. And and, and she was a lot to blame of all of that. And he was the one that ended up in the church at the altar, giving his heart to the Lord and trying to follow Jesus passionately today. She was going this way. He was going this way. And they met here. So at one point, you could absolutely look at this story being told and you'd be like, good Christian girl and really messed up guy. But the big difference between the two is this girl grew up in a home that was hospitable to Jesus' things, but her heart wasn't. And he grew up in a home that wasn't hospitable at all, but his heart was. His heart was. This is a story of two hospitalities. An external hospitality or a heart hospitality. Let me put the angle scale back up again. Can you put that back up again, the, the chart for me? I think my anecdotal, subjective 20 years of ministry leading relatively large ministries I've engaged with thousands and thousands and preached to thousands and thousands of people over the years. My gut is most people who call themselves Christian are actually only like six, seven, or eight. Your heart isn't in it yet. Where are you at? And grace to you, we can have hard days, right? Like I, I get it. There are days it's like, man, I'm in a good spot and days I'm not in a good spot. But overall, when you take a pulse on your life, where do you think you're at? Actually, man, Holy Spirit, even now you lead, you take people to the awareness they need. So here's the question, okay? Let me, let me just ask it. What does it look like when someone really becomes hospitable to Jesus in their heart? That's a great question. What does it look like? Well, I mean, it can be all kinds of different things and different personalities. There's uniqueness in that. We can have good and bad days. I mean, grace. But there's a lot of really good examples in, in this, this book. It's, it's, a, it's a good book. I like it. I encourage you to read it. It's even better than Lord of the Rings. I know, crazy. 
Just some of the examples in this book. What does it look like when someone really becomes hospitable to Jesus in their hearts? Here you go. Well, it looks like a sinful woman's unbelievable gratitude for the grace of God. It looks like the disciples willing to give up anything to follow him. It looks like the woman at the well proclaiming, this man told me everything about myself, which if you're like linguistically speaking, what she's saying is this man understands me fully. And she's literally running through the streets. This man understands me fully. He gets me. Someone finally fully understands me and still loves me. He knows the worst parts of my life. And he looks at me and says, I know all the terrible things you've done. And I want you. I want you. You belong. It looks like a chief tax collector, really, really wealthy individual, giving so freely, like he's looking at people in need and he's like, I I can't get rid of this fast enough to help other people. Oh, you're starving, let me take care of you. Oh, you're missing this, okay, you need, oh, you're in debt here, let me help you out. Like, it looks like a chief tax collector who cannot give to need fast enough when the heart has fully been changed. And then I, I put this last sentence in there and I get that it's an awkward sentence. And I like awkward sentences because it makes you stutter and then oftentimes you have to think harder. I like that. You know what it looks like? It looks like the thing that you really care most about. That's what it looks like. What is it that you care most about? Are you hospitable to Jesus just in home? Or are you hospitable to Jesus in your heart? This is a tale of two hospitalities. I was, uh, years ago, I was doing young adult ministry before I became a senior pastor. (laughs) Never thought I would become a senior pastor, by the way. For all of you out there, you're like, especially if you're younger and you're like, I love Jesus, but I'm never going to go into the ministry. Been there. Uh, And if you're like, I love Jesus, I'm going to go into the ministry, but I'm never going to work in a church. Been there. If you're like, I love Jesus, I don't ever want to go into ministry. And it's like, fine, I'll be in the ministry, but I'm not going to work in a church. It's like, fine, I'll be in a church. I'm never going to be a senior pastor. Been there. I was working as a young adult pastor at that time in history and uh, one of the young adults in the church, uh, she's super sweet. Just, oh man, she came from such a broken family and she became a passionate follower of Jesus and she came into me one day and she's like, hey, I think it was her uncle. My uncle is dying. I think it's like cirrhosis of the liver. He'd been an alcoholic and drugs and stuff a lot and he was in his latter days in, in, uh, in hospice. And uh, she was like, I, I, I talked him into being willing to see you. What a way to say it. It's like, wait a minute. You talked him into this. Okay, that's great. Would you be willing to do it? I'm like, okay. And so another pastor and I, I'm pretty young at the time in ministry. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, it's like Roman, what way am I going to go? How am I going to present the gospel to this guy? And I, I basically show up to his room and knock on the door. And this guy is in a, in, in a medical bed and he's hooked up to all kinds of stuff. And, you know, his fingernails are all yellow. I mean, this, he's dying, right? Especially, you can tell. The, I mean, it's, he's in really, really, really bad shape. Just color of skin everywhere. And he opened his eyes. And I was like, hey, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the pastor, your niece wanted you to talk to can I come in and he and he, he he's like yeah fine come on in he said inviting words but I didn't feel invited at all so the other pastor and I we come in and I'm I'm trying to like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm like, you know, it's like the whole angle scale. I'm like, okay, so like, tell me about like your awareness of God. And he's like, I already know about God. I already know about the Bible. I already know about Jesus. And like everything I'm bringing up, he's like, I know it. I know it. I got it. I know it. I know it. I got it. And I got all the way to the end and I'm like, okay, well, uh, can I pray for you? He's like, sure. So I pray with him and I leave. And I'm standing in the hallway and then I'm going out and I'm getting ready to get in my car and my mind is just racing because it's like, he said all the right words, but something was way off. Have you ever felt that? He was hospitable in his room. Come on in. Hospitable in his words. He agreed with everything I said. He was not hospitable in his heart. Do you see the difference? Three things I just want to lay before you, and I'll be done today. Three things to think about. Number one, I would love it if you would just be honest before God about what's going on in you. Right, like so if you're exhausted and worn out and life is difficult and you're tired and you're like, I hear you, Pastor Mike, but I'm shot. I got nothing left. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I'm tired. Like I would love to have more heart and energy, but I got nothing left. Say that to God. Go before him and be like, you know what, Lord? I, I want to up my Game. I want to up my commitment. And I, I'm not sure, I don't even necessarily feel it yet, but I, I wish I could feel it more. Like all of that dissonance, I got a wild thing to share with you. All of that dissonance, God is actually big enough to take all that. And he wants it from you. Spiritual honesty. Did you know that this amazing book, Better Than Lord of the Rings, this amazing book has a lot of examples of people being real honest with God. Be honest with God about the state of your heart. That's a beautiful thing. And ask him, Lord, I need your help. I'm not feeling, do, do you, there, there's even, Josh, okay, there are days we lead all this crazy stuff. Do you ever have a day where you wake up and you're like, I am not feeling it today? <laughs> Me too. I have days I wake up, I'm sick. I woke up and I was like, I don't even know if my voice is going to make it all morning. I woke up this morning, I had a headache, I didn't feel good. And I was like, you know what? 
God, I confess, I'm tired. Just meet with me and meet with these people because I can't. Please be honest before God about the state of your heart. He wants to meet you there. He wants to meet you there. He wants to meet you there. God wants to meet you at your place of honesty about the state, the real state of your heart. He wants to meet you there. Second thing that I would say is this, for the people that you love that aren't walking with God, pray about the state of their heart. The heart, dude, it's the heart. Hospitality of heart. Pray for their heart. Then the last thing I want to lay before you, just what you think about. In your mind's eye, again, use your imagination. A woman, a prostitute, has seen, most likely from a distance at this point in the story, a love and a charity and a grace that overwhelms her. And she hears, she hears, the word gets out. Yo, uh, they probably didn't use yo back then. I don't know what that was. What's yo in Greek? I don't know. Okay, so yo, Jesus is over at Simon the Pharisee's house. And she's like, oh, wow. And she gets this like little prompt in her spirit. Have you ever felt those spiritual prompts? A little prompt in her spirit to go check it out. And I'm sure, this is, okay, this is just me. I am sure that there's a million things going on. When we get spiritual prompts, you know what the first thing the enemy does when we get spiritual prompts? He distracts us. So she gets that little spiritual prompt. Oh, I could go see Jesus. And it's like, but you know what? I'm tired. It's been a long day. I've been up late doing prostitute things. I don't know how to say that appropriately, right? Like, I'm in a bad spot. I don't feel good. I got a headache. I got a hangover from the alcohol. Whatever. I don't know. I don't, I'm making all that up. The context of knowing what she did, right? So like all the stuff's in her mind. She gets a little spiritual prompt to go check out Jesus. And for whatever reason, she decides to not ignore the prompt, but to lean into it to lean into the prompt, to not ignore it, but to lean into the spiritual prompt. And I can only imagine that it's just like, it grows. So you lean into Jesus and and something grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And pretty soon she's like home and she's collecting the most valuable thing she can. And she goes over and she goes into the house and she's, again, this is the Mike SV, right? Not the ESV, the Mike SV. I'm, it's, I'm just telling the story. Like walks in and she sees Jesus. I can only imagine. I mean, she's clearly emotional from the account. And, and she walks over and she busts a year's worth of salary open. Pours it out on Jesus. And she just is at his feet and she's crying and she's like, I don't even have words, you're the one. 
I feel so vulnerable and so loved all at the same time. I feel so seen, but I also feel so safe. There's no better place than to be fully exposed and still fully desired. Lean into the prompts. Learn to be a spiritual people that lean into the prompts of God. We're going to do baptisms here. And uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. This is crazy. I don't know. If you've never been baptized, and for whatever reason, you're watching this this morning and you think, I need to do that. Do it. We got clothes. You'll be fine. Do it. We need to raise up a generation of Christians that uh, increase hospitality of heart, not just neatness of home. Not that that's bad. But that heart leaning into the spirit is such a big deal. Let me pray over you. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for your grace. I love that I get to be a pastor, the tale of two hospitalities. I ask in your name for the person in this room that needed convicted, I pray that you would be a convicting pull, push, draw, call. For the person in this room, Lord Jesus, that just needs compassion, I pray that they would sense and see your love that chooses the prostitute. For people in this room who are more pharisaical, Lord, for the people in this room, wherever they're at on the map, Lord God, I pray in your name that you would draw clearly to them the difference between hospitality of external and hospitality of internal, the heart. And show them how good it is to have a hospitable heart in your name. Amen.